Our campaign that we're in is called The Irresistible Gospel. Uh, we've been talking for a few weeks now about how this story of the gospel, the big story of scripture, is just so, so good that it's completely irresistible. Again, not that it's never resisted, but it's so good that whether you're a Christian or not, that you should want this story to be true. That it just makes sense of the big picture questions of life. And we've been going through this by asking the big picture questions of life, of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, where do we come from? We have to have uh, an answer, a satisfactory answer to where we come from. Meaning, uh, what's the purpose of life, which we're going to talk about today. And as a, as a young pastor, well, before I was a pastor in seminary, I would watch all those man-on-the-street videos. You know, they walk around, and they just ask a random person, like, these deep philosophical questions, which I thought was not fair, because you're just, like, on your way to get a coffee, and somebody stops you with a camera in your face and a microphone and asks you these deep philosophical questions. But when I was in seminary, I always thought, like, people are going to ask me this question all the time. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for one person to just come up to me like, Pastor, what's the meaning of life? Right? Nobody asks that question. But we're going to talk about it today anyways. Um, morality, how ought we live? We talked about that for the first few weeks. And destiny, where's it all headed? Where, what's the end look like? We have to have satisfactory answers to these questions in order to live kind of a, a stable, satisfied life. And the gospel answers them. And the gospel doesn't just answer them in ways that are truthful, meaning they appeal to reality, but the gospel answers them in ways that are so, so compelling. They're so good. So as I said, today we're talking about what's the meaning of life, the big picture question of meaning. What's it all about? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself the question, why am I doing this? <laughs> if you're like me, you do that all the time. <laughs> I do this a ton. And not because I'm so deeply thoughtful, it's because I just find myself doing a lot of things that I'm like, what am I doing, right? Like, I don't often stop to ask myself the question of why am I doing this until I'm already into the project or into the job or whatever it is I'm doing. And I found that this kind of stems from my childhood. I've been feeling a little nostalgic lately. So if you, get, if you get the picture, I'm going to be telling a lot of stories, hopefully, in this campaign. There's a deeper purpose there, and that's because I want you to start viewing the gospel as God's story. Right? I want you to view that as God's big story, the good news of God's big story throughout all of Scripture. And I want you to view yourself as a part of this story, not just a, like a bystander outside of it, but as an intrinsic part of it. That God is working through you and in you in his story. Okay, So it's got me feeling all nostalgic. And I've been thinking about my childhood a lot. And when I think about asking this question, why, I go back to one of the favorite stories that my family loves to tell about me. Uh, I was a hyper kid, pretty active, pretty annoying, right? And my brother had a way of dealing with me. He was four years older than me, so he would just like wrestle with me and beat me up and put me in my place, right? Uh, my sisters, they had a much more sinister way of dealing with me, though. What they would do is challenge me to run around the house like five times, and they would time me. <laughs> All right, it was a perfect challenge for me because I'm hyper, I'm annoying, and I didn't think a lot. So you can laugh. It's okay. It's funny. Um, <laughs> so I would do it, and it didn't matter how many times I did it, and I'd get back, and they would tell me, they'd be like, yeah, we didn't actually time you. I would still do it the next time. 
because I was competitive, I wanted to challenge myself and just try it, and I thought maybe this time they'll actually give me a number. They never did, but it worked perfectly for them because it burned energy for me, it got me out of their hair for a while, and it worked every time. All right. <laughs> so, um, my children are no less hyper and no less annoying. Right, Ellie? Uh-huh, she's smiling because she knows. It's true. Um, <laughs> so my son Shiloh, he was trying to be annoying um, a few days ago, earlier this week, and he came, we came into the house after soccer practice. It was late, and we walked into the house, and I told him, all right, guys, go take a shower. Right. I told him to go take a shower, and he did the thing that 10-year-old boys do, and they're just trying to be annoying, and he just kept asking me why. And it worked. Oh, my gosh. He's so good at it. Uh, he's just like, why? 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 Right? To everything that I said. So my answer is something like, yeah, you need to get, go take a shower. And it's like, why? Because you stink. All right? Why? Because you were sweating. Why? Because this is what your body does to cool. Right? I just, like, I knew I was preaching on this, so I played along with him for a little bit. And then eventually, if you keep asking that question, because what he's asking for is meaning, right? He's asking for purpose. He's looking for meaning for the things that he does on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it's quite layered, but as I was answering his questions of why, eventually you have to come to an ultimate end, right? If you keep asking this question why in your life, just like Shiloh, why do I take a shower? Trivial example. But if you ask these big questions and you keep going back and back and back and back, eventually you have to come to some ultimate purpose, which is God in some capacity, right? And so that's what I tried to communicate to him. And he was just being annoying. And he's like, dude, stop being a pastor, right? Uh, <laughs> but also, like, we don't think about this a lot in our day to day because it is so layered that we don't often get to our ultimate purpose. But what I want to communicate to us today is that it's important for us to have this ultimate purpose concept in the back of our mind. That when we ask ourselves, why am I taking a shower? Why am I going to work? Why am I eating breakfast? Right? We're not saying, like, for the glory of God. Right? <laughs> That's, I'm not going to answer it like that. But we have to have that ultimate purpose in mind because if we keep going back with all of these layers, it has to stop somewhere. It has to be something that's at the core of it, if you want to use the layer example, or if you want to use like the steps on a stairs or a ladder example, there has to be something at the top that we're ultimately going to reach. And that ultimately defines our purpose. Because I think so many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we, and this is why this uh, story from Greek mythology kind of settles and it kind of resonates with so many of us. Do you guys remember the story of Sisyphus from whenever you thought of this or when in high school had to read stuff, somebody made you read stuff. The story of Sisyphus is that like, I'm not gonna get into the details of it, but essentially this guy was kind of condemned to roll this boulder up a hill. And every time he would almost get there, it would roll back down. And for eternity, this is what he has to do. He rolls the boulder almost up the hill to the top, but he never actually accomplishes it. And so many of us, that's what our work feels like. That's what our day-to-day -day life feels like. It's just these endless rhythms of meaningless absurdity that we do so much stuff, and what's the point of it all? So at the end of the day, we just wake up and start it all over again. So many movies that start with that type of scene, right, where it's just like alarm clock, bing, ding, the same thing every day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And our lives just seem so routine, so mundane, 
and frankly, boring. And so, what I want to explore today is why that should not be the case for us as Christians. How can we wake up every day with this deep sense of meaning and purpose? Instead of just running on the hamster wheel, which so many of us tend to feel like our life is all about. And so we're going to spend two weeks on this. We're going to spend two weeks talking about purpose and meaning. First week, we're talking about the big picture, the core, (laughs) the top of the ladder, whatever analogy you want to use, right? The ultimate purpose that we have to keep in mind, but we don't really think about too much on a day-to-day basis. But we have to have a settled answer for it. And the gospel's answer is just so profound. It's so beautiful. It's true. It's also compelling and completely irresistible. But before we get to the gospel, what we're doing in this campaign is looking at a few alternatives. Because if we want to ask this question of what's the meaning of life, we have to have some answer, right? Even if our answer is nothing. (laughs) Like nihilism. Nihilism is this philosophical idea that not many people actually have the courage to accept. Like, you have to be a really proud person, confident person to believe this and actually live it out, and not many people do. Nihilism essentially says that, like, there is no purpose to life, it's meaningless, it's utter absurdity, and you should just embrace it and live like it, right? Uh, That's a bummer at the outset, right? Not many people believe that, and you got to be pretty bold, and confident in your answer to actually live like that, because nobody wants that, right? Nobody wants to live like that. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. In the devotional, I spend more time on it. More people spend time here. Uh, The alternative to purpose is to just be self-determined. The idea is to look inside yourself, figure out who you are, know your identity, find your values that you ascribe to, and then from that, from whatever you find, build your purpose off of that. And we're going to see later that this is just an insidious lie that it is deceptive and it just tweaks the truth a little bit. And so many Christians adopt this view uh, with catastrophic circumstances or catastrophic results. Most of the time what we come to, if this is your idea of how to find purpose in life and you determine it yourself, is something like happiness. So I'm going to do what makes me happy. So you figure out, looking at your identity and who you really are, you find the things that make you happy, and so then you say, my purpose in life is to do what makes me happy and to pursue happiness. Another one is family or love. And as an extension of family, you think, like, okay, so then the deeper value in family is this concept of love. Okay. And what we're going to see later is like happiness, it gets close. It gets so close, but it's not quite there. Love, family, it gets so close, but it doesn't quite get you far enough. It's a layer to the core, but it's not the core. We find meaning, we find purpose in loving, in helping, in serving our family. And so we define love as our ultimate purpose of life. That's another one. And we'll talk later about all of these. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it right now because I want to get to what Scripture calls the big picture purpose. But we'll return to these later. Another one is achievement. Achievement. So in this self-determined category, we describe achievement as another one. So you look at what like, drives you, 
what you would love to accomplish. You often hear phrases like change the world, make the world a better place. Uh, in this category, you say, okay, I'm driven to do this, whatever this thing is, whatever you're good at, whatever you feel a sense of calling to even, and you make that your ultimate purpose of life. Oftentimes, it's something like work, or it could even be family, it could be ath athletics, uh, et cetera, stuff like that. Entrepreneurship, we find it in there. Okay. So again, a layer in our purpose, but not our ultimate purpose. We'll talk about these more next week. An important part of it. And the next one, the last one, I threw this up there because uh, <laughs> I didn't think anybody actually took this to heart. Um, genetic reproduction is one of them, um, until Savannah and I took a class in college together called Abnormal Psychology, where we were shown a video of a man who actually took this to heart. But let me explain what it is first. This is a uh, natural, logical conclusion of naturalistic Darwinian evolution. Okay, so if you believe in Darwinian evolution and that there is, and the naturalistic piece is that there is no supernatural in the world, there's no God, there's no spiritual, there's no nothing, that all it is is Darwinian evolution. The purpose of life as defined by Darwinian evolution is genetic reproduction, to pass your genes on to the next generation. The best version of this leads people to monogamy, to strong family values as the best way to raise kids and to bring kids to mature adulthood. The worst version is, as I said, the video that Savannah and I saw, in abnormal psychology of a guy named Jason, who was a narcissist, and uh, was, that was the abnormal psychology that they were trying to illustrate with this video. This guy viewed his purpose in life was literally to just have as many kids as possible. So he had upwards of like 50 kids, most of them he didn't know, from lots of different uh, women that he didn't really keep in touch with at all after that. And he, this was his self-described purpose in life which is logical if you believe in naturalistic evolutionary biology to come to that conclusion that your purpose in life is just to pass your genetic code on to the next generation, okay? Kind of a bummer. Not many people are willing to just accept that and believe it, but it is one that's an option. But most people are in that self-determined camp today, I, I think, as far as I can tell. So. What is the Christian vision of meaning and purpose in life? This comes from the New City Catechism. This is a catechism put out by Tim Keller. Um, and it's updated from a lot of the old catechisms, like the Westminster Catechism and others, that says the it's the answer to the question, how and why did God create us? It says, God created us male and female in his own image, and here's our purpose, to know him, love him, live with him, and to glorify him. Okay, that's our big picture purpose in the Christian perspective. And what we're going to do today is tease out why this is so important for us to keep in mind and see how this is the big picture purpose in all of Scripture. In the devotional, I've linked you to the New City Catechism, where you can download it on your app. It's a great way to get some doctrine in your life and to have answers to these big questions and see how Scripture answers them. So God created us to know him, love him, live with him, and to glorify him. This is the big picture purpose that we have to keep in mind as followers of Jesus. 
I love how John Piper, he combines these two ideas from the Westminster Catechism, which asks, what is the chief end of man? Again, this is like kind of the old language <laughs> that the New City Catechism is attempting to update for today. Um, it says, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I love that. It's so good. Piper, he combines the two ideas, and he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It's such a just beautiful picture of how we glorify God and how, in doing so, we find our true meaning and purpose, and we can rest and be satisfied in him. So let's see where we find this in Scripture. John 15, this is Jesus' farewell discourse with his disciples. Okay. He says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. Okay, so counter the idea of uh, achievement as being our ultimate purpose. Jesus does want us to bear fruit, but that's not the end. That's not the core. That's not what's at the heart of it, right? To my Father's glory that we bear fruit. There's a deeper purpose to us being effective in ministry even. There's a deeper purpose to that. There's a deeper purpose to you being successful in what God has called you to. And it's right here the Father's glory, to glorify God, to make him look awesome. Okay, glory is kind of a big word that we don't use in our day-to-day -day life. I tell my kids it's just to make God look awesome. <laughs> we represent him, it's just make him look great and make him look amazing. John 17, in that same conversation, a couple chapters later, this is Jesus praying. He says, Father, I want those you have given me, his disciples, to be with me where I am. Okay, so this is at the heart of what Jesus is doing. He's like, I want these guys to be with me. I want my people, those who are in me, to be with me, to see my glory. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity whose glory was kind of muted when he was on earth, but in the resurrection, we see more of the fullness of his glory. And now he sees, now that he is in the Father's presence in full, his glory is on full display. He wants us to see his glory, those who are in Christ. The glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the Apostle Paul says it quite plainly. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, okay, he just opens it up to whatever you're doing, do it all for the glory of God. This is our core purpose, the glory of God, to be with God, to love him, to live with him, to know him. Jude, this little book that is just really one chapter. That's why there's no chapter. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. So that's, that's the end. That's the purpose. That's the goal. To be presented into the presence of God. And we can only do so if we're made holy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. We see this all through Scripture. This ultimate end, this ultimate purpose displayed in prayers like this and just reminding us that this is what it's all about. Be with God and glorify God forever. Now, what I want us to see today is that this is written in the whole story of Scripture and we're a part of that story. In the creation account, I'm not going to preach on it too much. Sarah preached on it a couple weeks ago and did a wonderful job with it. Uh, God creates humanity in his image. He places humanity in the garden where they experience the fullness of the presence of God without sin, without evil in the world. 
Uh, he gives them jobs to do, which we'll talk about next week. But he calls them to steward creation under his authority. And what the first humans try to do is they try to put themselves on par with God and to find good and evil for themselves instead of following what God has called them to do and steward creation under his authority. And so instead of glorifying him, they seek glory for themselves. And so we see that sin is ultimately a violation of purpose. We're violating our purpose. We're not living in line with our true purpose when we try to exalt ourselves and glorify ourselves over God. And instead of seeking to deflect glory from ourselves on to God. And we see that happen in the fall. So the first humans, they seek glory for themselves. They try to define good and evil for themselves. And so in Genesis 3.8, we see one of the most tragic scenes in all of the Bible. In the garden, God's walking in the garden. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is like a, a picture of a king walking in the garden. All of creation is God's throne room. All of creation is his temple in the garden. And the first humans have the ability to fully be in the presence of God, to fully live in their purpose, to glorify him and to fully just dwell with him and live with him, to know him fully. And what do they do? They hide from him. Fully in the presence of God and they hide. So we see shame enter in. And so sin leads to guilt, leads to shame, and this violates our purpose. Our full purpose of being with God. Glorifying him, dwelling with him. And they hide. They have it available to them, but because of their sin, it causes us to hide. And so one of the questions that I'm going to ask us is, I'll ask it more directly later, but when you hear this purpose of living with God forever, being fully in the presence of God, what does that do? What does that produce in you? Does it produce fear, guilt, shame? So you want to hide from him? If it does, that's, a, that's an indicator that you're not living in the presence of God. Or you're not living fully in the purpose that God has for you. Instead, when we hear that, like a child running to the dad, to the father they love, that should be us of embracing him, saying, God, I want to be with you in your presence forever. And the only reason that we can do that is because of redemption. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that we can be united with God and be with him forever. We can fully dwell in the presence of God. The fall has separated us from God and our sin, and we hide in our guilt and in our shame, away from the presence of God, even when it is available to us. But in Christ, the redemption that Jesus offers, now we have hope. We have the ability to be in the presence of God because he has made us holy. The story of scripture is that what is unholy cannot be in the presence of a holy God. And so Jesus makes us holy. Throughout the whole Old Testament, it's attempts to be made holy by following the law and failures time and time again of the people of Israel to be holy enough to be in the presence of God. And so Jesus comes. And Jesus is the one who redeems us. And even in his ministry, we see Jesus living out this purpose. The original purpose that was intended for humanity, Jesus fully achieves and accomplishes and lives in. 
Jesus in his prayer to the Father in John 17, he says, I glorified you on earth. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, as the perfect human fully glorifies God. Again, pointing us to our ultimate purpose, and that is to glorify God and not take glory for ourselves. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Again, the work that God gives us is a layer of our purpose, but it is not our ultimate purpose. There's a higher one. It is to glorify God. Next, in John 14, how do we be in the presence of God yet again after our sin and our unholiness? I am the way, Jesus says, the truth and the life. We often focus so much on that first sentence, and rightfully so, it's only through Jesus. Then Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. We cannot be in the presence of God except through Jesus. We cannot be made holy except through Jesus. And this is why the gospel story is so irresistible, because we, what we humans have tried to do for generation after generation, and we're unable to accomplish by following law, the law Jesus has done for us by giving us access to be in the Father's presence, to fully live in our purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul says, God made him who knew no sin. Jesus, who perfectly lived out the purpose of the Father, who never sinned, who never violated his purpose by sinning, became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the only way we can dwell in the presence of God is because Jesus has taken our sin upon himself and died in our place. And not only that, but we as Christians get a foretaste of this purpose. And that is in the Holy Spirit whom God has given us. God gives us his presence. The Spirit of God dwells within believers. And so often we take this for granted. But what it is is a taste, an inheritance, a seal. <clears throat> of us fully realizing our ultimate purpose in heaven, in the new creation. In him that is in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? (laughs) You see these two themes coming out again and again. Us being with God, experiencing the presence of God through the Holy Spirit whom he's given us, which we can only have in Jesus because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us, and he's given us his spirit, And all of it is to the praise of his glory, to make God look awesome, to make God look more amazing. Believe it or not, I cut out a ton of verses, okay? Because this is everywhere. Uh, I'm sorry, man. Preacher man's going to preach. Each one of the devotionals this week is like seven, eight minutes. So gear up. I, I went nuts, all right? All right, First Peter, just so you know, it's not just Paul in uh, Jesus, if that's not enough for you, but whatever. Uh, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very, very grace. Okay, so again, each believer has a gift of the Holy Spirit that's given to us, but why? In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This has to be our ultimate purpose. It's not just that we have a gift and we get to use it. That's awesome. That's a part of our purpose, but it is not the ultimate purpose. It all boils down to the core that is to us for us to glorify Jesus. 
Glorify God. And so we'll talk about this in a couple weeks. Restoration, how at the end of the story, at the end of Revelation 21 and chapter 21 and 22, what we see is God's presence fully dwelling in creation and the new creation with us forever. And us returning to that Eden state, having the ability to perfectly know him, love him, live with him, and to glorify him. We will experience that in full in the new creation. And so we see this is a beautiful purpose that we have. This is a beautiful purpose that God has given us, that God has written in the story of all creation. Band, you guys can come and get set up. And what we're going to see when I come back up to apply this is that this purpose cannot be taken away from you. This purpose you cannot fail at when the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. This ultimate purpose gives you reason to get up every day. No matter who you are, no matter how many times you've failed, no matter how many times you haven't achieved what you've hoped to achieve, no matter how many times you've loved somebody and they've violated that trust and they've broken it, this still gives you purpose. And no matter what life throws at you, you have meaning, you have purpose. You have a reason to get up in the morning. No matter how much you're suffering, you have reason. You have purpose. And it's all because of Jesus that we have this and that we can experience this. The ability to know God, to love him, to live with him, and to glorify him, is all a gift from God and the Holy Spirit whom he's given us when we are in Christ. And so we can live, although imperfectly, although incompletely, now in our purpose that will one day fully be realized in the new creation. And it's all because of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. And that's what we're going to celebrate now when we come to communion. That our sin as a violation of our purpose has separated us from God, but through Jesus, we can be reunited with God. We can be restored to God to live within the purpose that he has called us to. So the communion elements are set up here on the side. Front rows, I invite you guys to come forward first, come into the middle row, and then around to the side. Grab the two cups, there's two cups there. Return to your seat through the outside rows there, and hold on to them. We're gonna pray and partake of them together. But as you're holding the elements, and as the band is playing up here, I just want you to sit and just reflect and just think about what Jesus has done and how he has given you this purpose, this meaning, and the ability to live within it through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Just rest in that. Think of it through the lens of the alternatives. Perhaps you've lived those and you've tried them and you found them just vacuous and empty. You know others who have, and just thank Jesus for the gift of his grace, for calling you to this great meaning, this great purpose that can never be taken from you. Okay, our big idea is that God created us male and female in his own image, the purpose of knowing him, loving him, living with him, and to glorify him. This is our big picture purpose. This is the core of all the layers of the question of why. Why do we do what we do? 
thing that I want to emphasize to us today is simply why this is important. If we don't go around every day asking why, what's the meaning of life, <laughs> but we have to have this abiding sense that this is the meaning of life. Big picture, if we live in this self-determined mindset, every, the best lies from Satan are built on a part of truth. And the lie, or what we say when we determine, we desire to determine our own purpose is to look inside ourselves to discover our identity, to discover what we're good at, and then therefore build our purpose out of that. The lie is we don't look inside ourselves. It is true that we have to look to our identity and out of that build our purpose, but the truth is that our identity our purpose, who we are, is not built on who we think we are. It's built on who God says we are. That's a lie that our culture has bought and believed and taken. And when we believe that and we start building our identity on our core of our identity on layers instead of the true core, we find things like happiness to be our true identity or to be our true meaning and purpose. And that's a part of it. That's a part of what God wants for us, but it's not the core. When we build our meaning and our purpose and our identity on God, he wants to give us joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is found in the presence of God, but it's not the heart of it. It's not our core. If we pursue happiness, you won't find it. But if you pursue glorifying God, a desire to know him, to love him, to live with him, you will find happiness because that is your true purpose. Your true purpose is not happiness. And when we build our identity or our meaning and our purpose on happiness, what happens when we suffer? We see this all around us in our world. John Mark Comer and Mark Sayers, they did a wonderful podcast called This Cultural Moment, and they said that our Western world has built our meaning and our purpose on happiness, and so we've become the worst culture in the history of the world at dealing with suffering and pain. Because at best, when you suffer, and you will suffer, and I know some of your stories, and you guys are suffering a lot. When you suffer, at best, it's an interruption to your purpose. If your purpose of life is happiness. At worst, it totally destroys it. But this is why the gospel is so irresistible and it's so glorious that even in the midst of suffering and pain, you can live out your purpose. You have purpose. You have meaning. And counterintuitive to everything that we think to be true. In the midst of suffering and pain, even you may even live within your purpose more. Because it's in times of pain that you have no one else to turn to, but you look to him and you just want to be with him. You just want to know him. And it's in those times that you encounter him more. Even in times of suffering and pain, you can glorify him more by, by living with joy. When all of your external circumstances in life say that you should be bitter and angry and hateful. But when you live with joy and peace and love in the midst of times of suffering and pain, you make God look awesome. You make God look glorious. I know some of you guys are doing that right now. It's a testament to the work of God in your life. I had a lot more to say on that, but I'm not going to. 
Again, the irresistible gospel shines when we look at it through the lens of what are the alternatives? Happiness, it's good, but it's, it's not enough. It's not deep enough. Love, family, sacrifice for others. Again, it's good, but it's not deep enough. What we find in scripture is love is a part of our purpose. It's a layer to our purpose. But unfortunately, if we leave it up to ourselves to define what love is, we'll miss it entirely. Because in scripture, what we find is statements like this, that God is love in 1 John. So if we don't let God define love, if we don't look to be with God, to know him, to glorify him, whatever love we, whatever we decide is love, which is what our culture does right now, it'll be imperfect, it'll be incomplete, and it'll actually be selfish, which is the opposite of love. Because we're loving to make ourselves feel satisfied and fulfilled and to make ourselves feel better. That's not love. That's not genuine love. It's ultimately selfish. Instead, what we see is true love, genuine love, is rooted in God and in what Jesus has done on the cross for us. So if you try to seek love and to live in love as your purpose apart from God, it, it's, it's not really what love is. You're missing the whole point. You're missing the bigger picture. And this love that is rooted in God, is defined by God, is ultimately produced in us by the Spirit of God. It's all sourced in God. And so love is not a big enough category to define our purpose. Achievements, productivity, efficiency is not a big enough category to define our purpose either. What if you're incapable of achieving through life circumstances? Do you just have no purpose then? The utilitarian perspective says yes. God says no. That every person, regardless of what you're capable of, has value and has meaning because it is to the Father's glory that you bear fruit. It's all about the glory of God. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not about how much we can achieve, it's about how good we can make God look through how we do his will. <laughs> and it's about his will and not our will, which we'll talk about more next week. Recent church history is just full of pastors, church leaders, who have lost sight of their ultimate purpose to glorify God and they've taken their purpose to glorify themselves. And when that happens, it ends with tragic results. So guys, again, what I want us to see today is how just beautiful this is, that you have purpose. Regardless of how much you're capable of achieving, regardless of whether your life works out exactly as you thought it would or not, Regardless of whether you find success or you completely fail, you can still make God look glorious. Regardless of how many people betray you, regardless of how much you suffer, you can still know him, you can still love him, you can still live with him, and you can still glorify him. And this you won't just do here, you will do this for eternity. This isn't just a purpose that you have for here and now. This is a purpose that you will live in forever. Now in part and then in full. 
talk about that in a few weeks. Lord Jesus, your gospel is so awesome. It is so good. We are so thankful that, Lord, we can live in this purpose, this deep sense of meaning that you have for us, Lord, regardless of life circumstances, regardless of who we are, no matter what happens in our life, we find meaning, we find purpose in you. What a joy. How beautiful, how irresistible your gospel is. And so now, we want to live in that purpose by worshiping you more. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's glorify our Lord and Savior by singing praises to him yet again.